Welcome to the Faithful and True Podcast. We're happy to have you back with us again today with uh, Dr. Greg Miller, our host. And again today, Russ and Susie Smith from the uh, team here at Faithful and True have uh, agreed to join us to continue the conversation that we started on the last podcast uh, where we were talking about being triggered uh, while uh, together in public with your spouse. Yeah, and... Like Reddy said, we're just going to continue that conversation. And if you um, were with us for the last podcast, we just began kind of the conversation of what does it look like for a spouse to re-engage public spaces, um, knowing that it could be triggering for either one of them. And then how do we stay partners with our spouse versus becoming oppositional? So thanks for coming back and um, continuing the conversation, Russ and Susie. It's great to be back. Great to be here. Great to be here. Well, um, as I mentioned in the last podcast, part of what we're going to be talking about is um, redeeming or reclaiming experiences or spaces that might have been tainted through the acting out itself. Um, Maybe there was a, a restaurant that a couple had, and now because of the acting out, there's a negative association with that restaurant, or maybe there's a place that the couple went for vacation and Now there's a negative association with that. Um, And so we just want to talk about what does it look like for a couple to choose to move towards something that they know will be triggering and not be defined by the trigger, but actually try to redeem that space or experience. So Susie, what if you just begin talking about from the wife's perspective, kind of what does it look like to reclaim something that's been lost? Sure, sure. I'd happy be happy to. There's a temptation, I think, the, to to take that place and immediately hope to work on being able to go back there and enjoy it. And I would encourage our listeners to think of this as much more of a process. If I hear it once, I hear it all the time. This all takes too long, mm-hmm. you know, from um, from our clients, and it just this process does take time. And one of the things that I think has to happen before a wife can think about, or a couple can think about reclaiming a location or a vacation or a place is this process of grieving the loss of what they first and once thought was mm-hmm. was true. So this wife all of a sudden now has this new information that all of these times we've been at this restaurant or location, whatever, um, there there have been these things that I haven't been aware of. And and so the grieving process begins and it involves anger. It involves uh, maybe a period of shock, a period of denial, a period of arguing with it and wrestling with that and letting our ourself ha- sit spend time having the feelings that i have related to the loss so that i can eventually heal um and and be able then to uh reclaim something mm-hmm. i don't know that it's a I don't know that it's so obvious, okay, I'm finished grieving and now I reclaim. That's not what I'm trying to say. But I think first and foremost, it's allowing me to be in in wherever I'm at. And 
it's it's tempting to expend a lot of energy, waste a lot of energy trying to feel a way that I don't feel. Right. Or trying to push through or trying to um, have something that really isn't where I'm at. And yeah. so I, that's the first thought I have is this idea of feeling it so that I can get eventually to the next place. Yeah. I think we talk about it. this idea of we move towards it, we move through it, we move beyond it. And yeah. um, if I'm not acknowledging it, if I'm not willing to move towards it, then I, I'm not going to be able to move beyond it. Yeah. You know, and it's interesting because a, a lot of guys... Go ahead, Russ. <laughs> okay. I think we're alternating who goes first. We need to have some kind of signal. No, I was, I was just saying a lot of people, because they're, they don't want to recognize these things in themselves or they have a lot of shoulds, if they feel, start to feel unsafe, there's a tendency to say, well, I can handle this level of unsafety or I can handle this level of anxiety. And, and then by not dealing with it at that lower level, then when it does hit a higher pitch, then things are more out of control. And so, you know, we try and get uh, people to, to say out loud what they're feeling more towards the beginning of that, you know, and be comfortable saying, you know, I'm starting to feel anxious now. And I just want you to be aware of that. I'm starting to feel unsafe and I think I need to take a break or I need, I need something to be able to identify that need. But I think that is kind of this should idea. I should be able to handle this. And, uh, and there's really no should. Yeah, well, and one of the things that we um, do here at Faithful and True when we are doing a full disclosure is we think it's important that the spouse share information with his wife about the locations, the places of the acting out, so that she has that information. And there may be those that don't think that that's helpful. But one of the things that we know is if, let's just say, I brought my affair partner to this particular restaurant and I choose not to tell my spouse without realizing it, I'm going to leak some of my shame, my anxiety, and my spouse is going to pick up on something, even if they, she doesn't know what it's about. So we feel like it's important that spouses have the information that they need mm -hmm so that they can make an informed decision about how they want to move forward versus the the husband determining that I'm not going to share this. And like you said, I'm going to take care of it by myself, which I think is unrealistic. And that's one of the ways then, isn't it, Greg, that a spouse is allowed to work on creating her own safety. Mm -hmm. um, making a choice that, okay, then that is now not a place I would choose to go. Right. At least for a time, maybe not forever, but she gets to um, she gets to decide that. Yeah, absolutely. Well, and, you know, you kind of mentioned sometimes it can be a rush too quickly to try to reclaim spaces or redeem spaces. Mm -hmm. What can also be true is in the early days of the experience and right after the ex exposure and the information, the spouse can make a declaration that everything has been lost. I remember yep. <laughs> Beth telling me that everything has been tainted by this. There's nothing that hasn't been tainted. And what's true is that's where Beth was in the moment. And to be honest, I kind of felt the same thing. But in time, and you mentioned this, it just takes time. You begin to discern what can be redeemed and what can be reclaimed and what maybe wasn't tainted by the acting out. But that's not going to be known initially. 
And so even in the early days to be open to, there may be some things from our past that can be redeemed or reclaimed. Yeah. Not, maybe yeah. another way to say it is not everything was a lie. And it makes perfect right. sense in the early days that spouses believe everything was a lie and everything has been tainted by what you've done. Another way to say that is that a spouse's level of vulnerability goes way up to the ceiling shortly after a uh, a discovery of this acting out that that everything feels unsafe and mm-hmm. I feel incredibly unsafe. The vulnerability is high. And so there's a there's a legitimate need to protect uh, and be protected. Right. And that's that's going to be um that's going to show in a lot of the choices that, that a wife makes, um, she's going to probably make more careful choices for a while and err on the side of, no, I don't choose to do that. The other thing I think is we learn as we go. I, 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 I walk into this setting um, and it goes fine. Or um, I walk in and it, it's not, it doesn't go fine. And I learn, oh no, that's um, that's not something I'm going to do for a while. Right. And you know, there's probably a whole host of feelings about that. Maybe I'm, maybe they're angry that this has been taken from them, but it doesn't have to mean that that's forever. Right. And what also is true is um, spouses. In in our case, um, the the population that Faithful and True works with are men who have struggled with sexual addiction and have betrayed spouses and then their wives. And so in this particular context, the wife gets to determine what she is able to do, what she is willing to do. And there may be certain things that are just off the table for a while. And it's about naming your limits and being aware of your possibilities and your capacity, especially in the early days of recovery. And I tell women that, that changes. That can change from day to day. An activity mm-hmm. that is okay for me today or her today might not be another day. Go ahead, Russ. Oh, uh, yeah. I was just thinking that um, one of the ways to increase safety around triggers is for uh, to for the men to, to be very open about their recovery plan. Mm-hmm. Um, for instance, if you know that part of your yellow, we talk about the yellow circle, uh, you know, things that are likely to lead you toward acting out. If you're uh, able to share that with your wife and say, okay, these are the historical areas that I've had difficulty uh, and this is what I'm doing about it. Um, and you might say for a time, for instance, I know we did, I did, uh, you know, I didn't go to beaches, I didn't go to a pool. You know, I didn't go to gatherings, places where I would, what we call trigger rich environments. Uh, and so for a time that that felt safe to me. And because Susie know that, knew that, uh, then she could understand why I was choosing not to do that. So I think the more information you share like that, the better. Otherwise, you know, the spouse is, is left with, okay, is this scenario unsafe or not? Is this scenario unsafe or not? And and that's uh, terrible for both of you. And it, and it, it's also a reactive thing again. I mean, we, we in that victim place where you're watching your spouse gauging her reaction and trying to decide how safe you are based on how safe you think she is. And 
that by not talking, both people, uh, their anxiety goes through the roof. And so the more you can talk about it globally in terms of a plan, and then as you're going into places, talk about, you know, your anxiety, uh, the better off you're going to be. It involves a lot more sharing of emotion and feelings. It involves a lot more uh, honesty and courage. And, uh, and most of the time, uh, guys and, and couples often aren't very good at that. Right. Well, one of the things to acknowledge is we've been talking about the spouse being triggered, but the husband can also be triggered. If the, sure. let's say that the, the couple is going into a restaurant, we're using that example a lot, where a husband had taken an affair partner. Well, the spouse is going to get triggered in her anger, her grief or sadness. And the husband can get triggered into his shame, his fear, his anxiety, his grief, his sadness. And it's important that in a safe way, they're able to be with each other in those triggers and um, acknowledge them to each other so that, again, they can be partners to the extent that in that moment they're able to be. One of the I, ways I that I think point. we partner in um, re reclaiming this these places um, is to talk about them in our couples counseling mm -hmm. and mm -hmm. to have intentional conversations about that. I, I think about the number of times we've uh, talked through a potential family reunion or a cabin week or a vacation or a, going to a wedding. That's a big trigger one. And, and devising a plan for how we will take good care of ourselves, how we will communicate with each other, and then how we will um, react in the moment and make changes as we need to make them. Well, I, okay, so I wanna go back to something that you mentioned. It's a great example, and that would be weddings. That what we see in most of the couples that we work with, and it was absolutely my experience with Beth and our experience as a couple, is especially in the early days, weddings are incredibly triggering. And so you're getting these invitations to the weddings. And as a, a wife determining, do I feel like this is something I can do? Who is the person? Um, maybe it's even I can go to this wedding, but I can't go with my my spouse right now. You know, maybe the wife determines I want to go, but I don't want to go with my husband. And the more options there are, the more you can engage something that, you know, is going to be difficult and triggering. But in time, weddings can be one of those things that as a couple continues to do their work, they can actually be redeemed and become a meaningful experience for them in their own relationship. Yeah, I think you're talking about some transitions in there like we are in all of this. Um, you know, I think when when both people are triggered, both individuals are triggered uh, prior to discovery, you would often, you know, if you get triggered with have a big emotional response, you get hurt. You go to your spouse to, to you know, get that healed or get that get comfort. And if you're both triggered, then oftentimes your spouse isn't the one that's going to be able to provide what you need and you need to reach out to your your bus you're the other people mm -hmm. on, you know of, of your same sex and uh and i and that's not much fun initially i can tell you that early on when i was you know leaving the the reception you know two three four times to go uh talk myself down with some of my my group uh you know that's not much fun for susie to get left behind and so those you know that was a both and thing where we were able to get through the wedding without um, 
you know too much trouble but but it was it wasn't much fun right i would would you agree with that Suze? that was a tough yeah. transition yeah i also wonder if people know what you mean by bus <laughs> oh. i well i just assume you know if greg's on the podcast uh, then the bus has been brought up um, <laughs> we, <laughs> there is truth about, that you could go ahead uh, and remind yeah, people yeah well i you know people that are in your support group um that's one of the biggest uh, challenges for a lot of men is when they come into recovery, they don't really have any strong male friendships or relationships. Uh, and, uh, and part of the addictive process is reducing shame. And the best way to reduce shame is to uh, be honest and open and transparent with other addicts that understand you. So that when they tell you that you're what's true, you can actually believe it because they fully know you and they understand you. And so that's kind of uh, part, that's your inner bus, that's like the front of your bus, and then, you know, the rest of your bus could be, you know, other support people, it could be people in your church, it could be people, uh, you know, whatever, but uh, it's all that support group that you're surrounding yourself with so that you're not trying to do this alone. Yeah, well, we would even say nobody can do the journey of recovery in a two-seater. If it's just yeah. you and one other person, you're not going to make it. Even a minivan doesn't work. You're going to need a bus of people that can be with you on the journey and support you. Um, and, you know, kind of what you've identified is the strategy of I'm at this experience. I'm at, let's go back to the wedding. I'm at a wedding. I'm getting triggered. I'm getting triggered into my shame. I'm getting triggered into my um, sadness. I'm getting triggered into my fear. And maybe we're not in a place where I can process that with my spouse and it needs to be processed so that I can get recalibrated into my truth. And that's where reaching out to my community in real time becomes so important. And one of the yeah. things that I think is important for us to say is it's okay and valid if there are certain places or experiences that aren't able to be redeemed. There, there just may be some things that we will never go back to that place again. We will never do this again. And it doesn't mean that anybody is failing. It's just an acknowledgement of our limitations. And something else that is true is if people are getting triggered into their emotions years into recovery, you know, maybe they've been in recovery for years and they and their spouse goes to a wedding and they've done weddings before that have gone great, but this particular wedding is triggering. That's okay. That makes sense. You get to be where you are. Yeah. Is there yeah, any specific, it's not a straight line. Is, is there any specific guidance or encouragement that you would give to a spouse, Susie, that um, is considering the possibility of moving back towards something that maybe has been off the table for a while because of the associations with that place or thing? Uh, yeah, for sure. I would say if if I'm if I've deemed uh, something worthy of reclaiming, right? I've decided. I've given it thought. I've decided no, that isn't something that I want to avoid forever. Um then I want a spouse to approach that process with great intentionality. Mm. I want her to bring it to her group or her counseling individually and, and, you know, talk about what are some of the things she personally needs in that process of reclaiming, as well as then coming together with her husband and probably talking about it in their couples session 
um, and and devising a plan. You know, we go into so many things without a plan, expecting them to go well. Right. And and they just usually well. Often, many times, occasionally, (laughs) Um, they frequently do not because there hasn't been a plan, right? There hasn't been uh, there. Certain things haven't been thought through. And so, you know, the the number of details that that can be talked about and planned and expectations managed. You know, I have my expectations. The spouse has his and. And let's talk about those and decide what needs we both have in it so that this plan can have a pretty good chance to succeed. Well, in in the last podcast, you talked about these three things that you're encouraging women to do as they navigate um, triggers. So how would those remind us of what those three things are and kind of maybe how they would play out? when you're wanting to reclaim a space? Sure. The first one is having the wife be fully aware that she has more power to create safety for herself than she ever probably embraced before. Mm -hmm. And so that is the choices that she has, the, the, um, in both in the moment and prior as she makes the plan, um, her her choices to uh, do things that keep her in her window of tolerance, her window of well-being, that mm-hmm. idea that I'm not way uh, above that tolerance level, agitated, jittery. I'm also not sinking below into hopelessness or a place of helplessness. Mm-hmm. But I know what I know what keeps me well regulated. I I can practical things like exercise, food, water, you right. know, um, sunshine, all kinds of things that that I think we have more power to attend to these things than we first realize. Well, and, and along so, those lines, even the idea of naming my limits, maybe we create this great plan. Maybe we're, let's use the wedding example again. We're driving to the okay. wedding and at some point the wife realizes I'm not ready for this. This is too much. Mm-hmm. And part mm-hmm. of the thing that is so important is that we get to name our limits. So the wife has the permission, the power to say, nope, I'm not ready. And yep, I've my encouragement. My mind my encouragement for the husband would be to graciously hear that and to be empathetic, not to become critical or shaming of the spouse's naming her limits. Um, and yeah. the, the husband many times wants the spouse to be in what he would say a better place, but many times that's not about the, the wife. It's about the husband not wanting to be in his shame or fear anymore so he's kind of pushing the wife to do more than maybe she's able to. And that's point number two that be... I talk. Go ahead. Yeah, this lag thing is really hard. Um, no, I was just going to say that some of it is a, a way of approaching it and looking at it differently. So in other words, going into something like a wedding, you could approach it as success as meaning we got through the whole wedding and we got home and it went well. Uh, versus saying uh, success is we communicated well, 
we did as much as we could. Uh, we were strong enough to, to keep our limits. Um, I mean, that's, that's what success is rather than viewing it as, as an end goal of, of achieving uh, the event. Right. Success was we were open to it. Success yeah. was we talked about it. And I love what you just said. And success is um, engaging our limits and naming what we're able to do and what we're not ready to do yet. Well, Greg, well, can you think of a, a way that, that uh, you can um, uh, leave our listeners with a real sense of hope uh, on this category? Yeah. You know, um, one of the things that is so powerful is I remember in the early days of recovery, one of the things that Beth said is everything has been tainted. Everything has been lost. And one of the beautiful aspects of especially couples recovery is you began to realize not everything was lost and there are things that can be reclaimed and redeemed and transformed. And um, that is the hope that we have is that with intentionality, with focus, with grace and with forgiveness, that there is a way to move forward. And one of the most affirming things is when a couple says, you know what, I never thought we were going to be able to do that again. And we did. That's that's I think where we get our hope. And that's exactly why we yeah. had Russ and Susie with us today, because they're uh, they are a great example of of just how successful that can be. We we thank you both for being with us again today on the podcast, Russ and Susie. We look forward to having you back on the Faithful and True podcast again soon. Uh, I'm sure that our listeners and our viewers have really benefited from these past two podcasts together. Um, again, as we have told you in the past, if you are a man that's struggling with sexual purity issues, we invite you to visit faithfulandtrue.com. Click on the workshops and uh, visit the Men's Journey Workshop. Uh, there's lots of great information and opportunity for you there. We have uh, also under resources, we have over 400 of these podcasts that you can listen to or in some cases view uh, because of our YouTube channel. So until we join you again, we thank you for joining us, and we hope that the coming week is filled with many blessings and great vision.